like insert whatever accomplishment you can think of. And like, that's when I can call myself a music producer, you know, like it was some future thing that would happen. It wasn't my real life. It wasn't who I was right then and there. Um, and so I think when I finally embraced like just the ride and the journey and just being a music producer, like it, 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 me- it kind of, it really helped me just like kind of come to terms with that and not like point to some day in the future where I might be more successful. Like life is happening right now and I'm a music producer right now. What's up producers, I'm Sam Matler and you're listening to the EDM Podcast, a show where I interview successful artists and key people in the music industry. And in today's episode, episode 27, I talk to Serik, also known as Hyperbits and one half of the Rooftop Boys. And as you probably know, if you've been following this podcast for a while, uh, you'll know that I had Serik on in episode 15 and it blew everybody away. In fact, it's still the most popular episode of all time, and I highly recommend listening to that episode before this one, because in this episode, we actually expand on a few things uh, that we talked about in the earlier episode six months ago. In this episode, we go deep, like really deep. Uh, We talk about the things that artists should be talking about but aren't. We take a hard look at what it takes to really build a career in music and why it's your habits that will ultimately make the difference. So it's a really enjoyable episode. There are parts that will hit you like a ton of bricks, parts that will make you think, uh, and other parts that will make you laugh. But before we get into it, I have to mention that next week, Sarah and I are launching a new start to finish course. And Sarah has put together a six hour long course uh, where he shows you how to make a future house track from scratch. And we're talking about a guy who's had releases on Armada, uh, Island Def Jam, and Ultra. He was ranked, you know, in the top 10 of Billboard's Next Big Sound Chart in 2013. He is a renowned and incredible producer. So that will be available on the 10th of this month, May. Uh, So make sure to check it out. And if you're following either of us on social media, or you're part of the EDM Prod email list, you'll definitely see it. Anyway, without further ado, here is Hyperbits. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm with Serik, also known as Hyperbits, also known as the Rooftop Boys. Serik, how's it going? That's going great, man. Happy to be back. Yeah, so I mean, we we recorded the first podcast, which was episode 15, uh, about six months ago. And in fact, that episode is the most popular episode of all time. Uh, <laughs> really? So yeah, so people seem to like you. 
Uh, I'm I'm flattered, very flattered. <laughs> so, like to kick things off, what's been happening since then? I mean, it's half a year ago. Surely you've been doing some stuff. Man, has it really been six months? That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I feel like we just sat down. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, tons was going on. Um, so, like, I think right when we were talking last time we spoke, I was about to go on tour with Thomas Jack. Mm. So that that whole tour happened. I was in San Francisco, L.A. Um, did a show down in Washington D.C., then a show in New York City, back home at Terminal Five. Um, and that tour was a lot of fun. I definitely learned that I'm not like 20 years old anymore. I can't party <laughs> like I used to. But um, that was pretty sweet. I um, oh, oh the uh, the Rooftop Boys released like an official remix for Beyonce and Naughty Boy. Awesome. Which uh, which is like super cool. Like that's just kind of like a like a bucket list type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my uh, my parents can like tell their friends what I do and actually name drop Beyonce now yeah. and, and like might be able to understand what I do a little bit better. Um, I released uh, a track called Piana on mine and Shane 54's label, uh, Ride Recordings. Um, and I actually like I actually sat down in my studio and recorded like an hour long walkthrough of the track. So if anyone's listening, wants to check that out definitely some cool production tips in there and, and tons of stuff going on. Awesome. Um, but, I'll, put, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, but yeah, man, just like keeping busy, you know, like working on originals, working on remixes, working on my online eight week masterclass. Um, just honestly, tons of projects, probably keeping myself a little too busy, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's good, man. It's good. That's awesome. And, and your track piano, like I heard that, um, pretty much when it came out how on earth did you make the baseline i i need to ask because like that blows me away it's honestly like if you if you go watch that um that walkthrough like it's really not like the most complicated sound like i, I basically started with this like really really simplistic silent patch mm. and then when i threw the homicide like distortion plug in on it it just like it just like destroyed the sound so much that I, I noticed that like when I was playing around with my um my MIDI keyboard and doing some like some pitch bends on it, like it just sounded so dirty and grungy. So honestly, like simple, really, really simple uh, silent patch. And then with like that homicide like preset that I kind of tweaked, like it just came through like so big. And and I just started like with just that, like just got the mm-hmm. got the bass going, started with some some vocal chops and uh that was it so i want to talk about that because uh you're you're a big proponent of you know using saturation and distortion you've just put out a blog post actually on the top 20 uh distortion yeah. plugins and top 20 also, did, you, did yeah. you even know there was 20 <laughs> no no <laughs> i mean i've got like four maybe i don't know there was 20 um and you've, uh, you've done enough, a webinar oh, i know i know i'm terrible <laughs> you've done a webinar too on saturation um, so I want to dig into this a bit, like, because a lot of producers either don't know how to use saturation and distortion, uh, or they don't use it at all. Like they feel like it's not important. And I think I read a tweet mm. from, uh, it might've been in your blog post actually. No, it was. Oh Audio. yeah. yeah that, Audio. The audience. Yeah. And he's like, why haven't I used distortion? <laughs> and then he put out Wayfarer. Yeah. So how do you use distortion and how do you figure out which distortion plugin to use well i think like 
I mean, I'm, I'm personally like obsessed with saturation and I mean, it, it's like, for me, it's kind of like the secret sauce, you know, like, mm. like it can really do so much for your music. And I think for me to like, just talk about like how I use it really wouldn't make sense if, unless I like kind of like unpacked it a little bit and like kind of explain like, I guess what saturation is. I, sure. yeah. the, te the teacher in me is already coming out, but, um, but like, so like, all right, the most straightforward, simple definition of saturation is basically like, it's just changing a sound. So the way that you change it or destroy it is by adding harmonic frequencies. So like, I think the easiest way to think about this would be like, for example, if you play a note like at, at 100 Hertz, mm. even ordered distortion would add frequencies at like at 200 Hertz again at 400 Hertz. And then like, again, at 800 Hertz and, and so on. And like the same thing below this, the original sound. So yeah. like the original sounds at 100, like also at 50 Hertz, 25 Hertz and, and so on. And so like, I don't know, maybe like a little bit of a light bulb is going off in your head. Like, because like these frequencies are getting added throughout the whole frequency spectrum. And it's probably like a great way to fill out your sounds, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it mm -hmm. makes them warmer it makes them brighter potentially or fuzzier or crispier or, or kind of whatever, like how, how you make them warmer, brighter, whatever is dependent upon what distortion plugin you use or, or what that plugin kind of sounds like. So, I mean, <laughs> there's so many different plugins, right? I, I wrote a blog post about 20 of them, mm -hmm. but, but to break down like how I use saturation, like it really, I think boils down to kind of just like two techniques, like, if you're using saturation as a subtle kind of like way to fill out a sound, mm. or if you're using saturation or distortion as like a really impactful effect, kind of like the way I used it in like the piano baseline, right. which is kind of like the classic way of thinking like distortion or of distortion, you know, like a huge heavy metal distortion pedal, like effect, like on a guitar or something. So I think like differentiating those two techniques is pretty huge, you know, like, mm -hmm. Cause, cause people want to just like throw plugins on and, and change the sound. Like, obviously that's a really straightforward, simple way to, to, to achieve a distorted effect. But, but the subtle thing, man, like that's really the game changer. I think like, and I'm speaking for myself, but most people I think use like digital software. And so I find like a lot of the time that the synths just kind of sound a bit like digital and yeah. dead, yeah. like almost like dull, right? And if you just add like a few dBs of saturation, like really subtle, just warm up some of those sounds and bring it into that analog domain, like it starts to make the biggest difference. Um, just kind of like in influencing your sound and making it sound less digital. And so like, I, I think like in terms of how I, I actually use distortion, like, like basically those there's like a lot of relationships that I've kind of discovered over time. Mm. So like if I'm using the fab filter Saturn, for example, um, I know that there's this one preset that I love to use on a sub bass, or if I'm using like the sound toys decapitator, like it sounds really good on drums using like this other specific, um, preset that I've made or, or that the D 16 redopter sounds like really, really dope, um, on like vocal chops or something. And, and it's kind of like figuring out those nice pairings, like almost the way that like, you know, like wine can go with like a certain food, mm -hmm. like those pairings are, are really huge. And I think it, they're kind of, it's like an overlooked 
um, methodology as far as just like getting your tracks to sound a bit more analog. Right. And uh, I suppose uh, that comes with t- like time, like actually experimenting with them. Yeah. Because you can't really come across those pairings if, if you're not trying out a bunch of different plugins. Yeah. I mean, I, tr- I tried to like, like in that blog post, I tried to list out like certain things that I tend to do often mm. just to give mm. people like a little bit of direction maybe. But, but just because like, I think that those things sound good doesn't necessarily mean that it will sound good to like someone's, someone else's like, um, ears or, or in their production. Like, it's kind of just like what's been working for me. Um, but it's just like a great starting point because like, yeah, you, you have to go in there and just experiment and kind of figure it out for yourself. But, um, but one, one thing that like, I think you'll definitely find when you start experimenting, like one big mistake that a lot of people make, and this can happen, like, especially like if you said, if you only have four, I mean, four, four saturation plugins is, is not, I mean, that's a, that's a good amount, but, but what I find a lot of people doing is when they learn about saturation and they only have one or two plugins, they'll Mm. use those one or two plugins on like everything in the mix. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I think like nothing like kills a track faster than, than making all those things that you spent time making sound different turn into something kind of like that blends together and all has kind of like the same vibe or, or same like sound to it. That's and I interesting. Think, like, Not to interrupt, but... Um, no, no. Because I want to play the devil's advocate here because I've, I've heard people say, uh, you know, you should use the same reverb for all your different instruments or the same, you know, whatever. Uh, and that way you get like a more cohesive sound. So like, how, w- how would you answer that? Well, I think saturation can be treated very differently than reverb. Mm. So like when you're the, I think the theory behind using reverb is, is to kind of make all of your elements in your mix kind of belong in the same room. Like that's kind of the mm. theory behind it. Like for example, if you have a band playing in a, in a stage, like, like one of those guitarists isn't in the grand Canyon, like performing like somewhere else, <laughs> right? Like they're all in the same room. So they're naturally sharing the same like reverb treatment per se. Right, yeah, and I think yeah. that's what the theory is with reverb as far as like, like kind of, cause I do that too. Like, yeah, I'll use a room reverb to treat like almost everything in my mix just so that it like it belongs and, mm. um, and everything kind of, again, belongs in the same room, but, but then at the same time, saturation, like you wouldn't necessarily throw the same distortion pedal on the Uh, guitarist that you would on the bassist, on the vocalist, on the drums, right? Like you see what could happen. Like everything Mm. would just sound the same. And all of a sudden your, your mix would just like lack clarity and presence and all the fun stuff that I think like makes up a solid mix down. So what other if any other effects would benefit from that diversity for lack of a better word what other effects would benefit um like how else could you benefit a mix down yeah as in as in so it makes sense to use uh a couple of reverbs one or two reverbs for for a track um to get that cohesive sound but when it comes to saturation uh like you say it's worth using a couple of different ones um to get a mix is there any other audio effects that would benefit from you know multiple different types or multiple different plugins ah uh, that's a great question i think i think something the first thing that just comes to mind 
and there's probably better answers, but the first thing that comes to mind is, is echo or like delay Mm -hmm. of some sort, you know, like just because you have maybe a pluck rhythm using one form of delay, that doesn't mean like the vocal chops or something have to have that same, that same rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can create like really interesting and almost like complex sounding grooves if you stray away from using like the same delay on top of each other over and over again. So yeah, like differentiating with, uh, with delay and, um, and like choruses and tremolos, like all those things I don't think have to be kind of the same. Mm, it makes sense. And I wonder if it's the same with uh, compression too. Yeah. I mean, compression is kind of, uh, like a different animal, but, um, mm, mm, I think course. a lot of people, like and i i honestly am not the biggest proponent of of compression neither but like i think it's overused and, oh, I, yeah, and especially especially in like a digital production where like most of the stuff doesn't even have that big of a dynamic range to begin with like mm-hmm. like reaching for a compressor kind of i think can really squash a mix but um but that but that's kind of like the main use of a compressor right is like when you and I do this sometimes when you have like, you know, a, a drum bus, like with all your different drum sounds, like you might want to have a little bit of gain reduction on your group so that you can like, you can actually kind of meld all the sounds together and make them feel a little bit more together as opposed to being different. Mm-hmm. So I think like when you use compression in that way, like small strategic uses to maybe tighten something up, like that's really a great way to use compression. But when you're, when you're slapping it on everything, and and then throwing it on all your buses on top of that and then again on your master like you're just flatlining and uh you know kind of squashing your mix and and that that can be like a pretty big problem i think why why do you think people because this is a pet peeve of mine why do you think so many people use like overuse compression in the electronic music world i think compression is everyone's first introduction into like the production world Mm. You know, so like right away, it's like, okay, I like say, say you sit down and you start making music and then you all of a sudden, like you start Googling, like, why does my music sound like shit? (laughs) Like the first thing that everyone kind of comes across, I think is probably like EQ and compression. Like they're just the most like popular effects or, or tools to, to aid in your mixes. And like, yeah, they are super important, but, but I think like initially people just tend to like reach for a compressor when they probably don't need to. Mm-hmm. And I think like, yeah, like early on, especially like, you know, there's just this tendency to, to slap on a compressor and hope that it's doing something good for your mix. When in reality, like if you don't know what you're doing with the compressor, like it, it probably just is damaging your mix down and, and flatlining everything. Oh yeah, Definitely. I think that's it. I mean, I, I've seen so many questions um, of that nature. You know, my music sounds like this or my music doesn't sound... The, the classic one is my music doesn't sound full enough. And then someone <laughs> inevitably right. says, uh, oh, just use compression, man. Like, that'll fix it. Yeah. Which that's like every, every YouTube comment ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> just compress, dude. It'll work. Oh, man. Um, so I want to switch gears for a moment because... In the last episode we did, uh, you know, you got a lot of positive feedback and there were a lot of comments from people who said, man, when he talked about leaving corporate America, leaving his job to make music, that was so inspiring. And I want to talk about that. You know, did you, were there some actionable strategies that you took uh, 
uh, during that time period to actually make the transition? I mean, there's, there's so many things like, like, so, so for starters, um, I think that like everyone can't just like, just get up and quit. Right. Mm. So like there's going to be a decent time to, I I think at least to, to, to generate income through music, like it's going to take a little bit of time, but, but it all starts kind of with just like honing your, your craft. And like in, in most cases, I think music isn't like a corporate job where, where they train you or pay you to like get good at whatever it is that you might be doing. Like with music, you have to do all that training on your own. So, so I actually think it can be like a really good thing to pair a full-time job with teaching yourself music production. You know, like there's this like huge urge to like quit the day job, quit the day job, like go do music full-time. But like, if you kind of like take a step back and really look at it from like an objective perspective, um, having a full-time job and learning music can really like coexist quite nicely mm-hmm. because like realistically, you're really not going to be making too much money from music, at least initially. I think like any pursuit, you can make tons of money in, in anything. Um, and there's definitely tons of money in music, but it might take a little bit of time to get there. So, so I mean, as far as like actionable strategies, kind of keeping in mind that like you're still working full time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the number one thing would probably be like just changing changing lifestyle, like, and I, I can I can go much further into this, but yeah, basically, yeah. basically like okay, so so the first year out of college that I worked a full time job, I was commuting from my parents' house out on out on Long Island, commuting to Manhattan, which um, which is about it was, it's like an hour and forty minutes door to door each wow. each way, so. You know, I'm up at like 6.30 in the morning. I'm talking like over three hours commuting every single day. Dude. And, you know, plus like, like I actually worked, right? So I had like yeah. eight to 10 hours at a job. I wouldn't get home until seven, maybe later. And then I would, I would go to the gym, have a little bit of dinner, and then like just be like conked out, man, and just mm. watch TV for an hour and then go to bed. And I like repeated that process for an entire year. And, and man, like I'm, I'm, not even kidding. Like I went through some like dark places during that year. Like I was probably a little bit like depressed. Like I still went out on the weekends and partied Mm -hmm. a little bit because like it was the first time I ever had any like disposable income or anything like that. Yeah. And so like, like that part of it was fun. But, but aside from that, like my life was pretty empty and I wasn't fulfilled like in any way. I wasn't pursuing anything that I was like passionate about or or whatever. And I, I honestly, like, I just didn't know any better. Like, I didn't mm. know that there was other options even out there. Like, I just thought that like, I'd have to go to work in this cubicle for the rest of my life. And like, that shit scared me so much. Like, and it still scares me like to think that like, there's people out there that think that like, you have to work in a cubicle and like, that's all that life like can give you. Um, Cause I, honestly, there's probably nothing more unhealthy or like no bigger crime that you could ever commit for yourself than to just like put yourself through something that you hate and just like not try to change. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically after a year of that lifestyle, like a friend of mine just showed me like a podcast about internet business, um, which honestly wasn't even that great of a podcast, but I started listening to it on my commutes and, and then from that podcast, like I heard about the, um, the four hour work week, which like, honestly, dude, 
taught me more about like mindset than it did ever about like business or like, you know what I mean? Like it was mostly just about like optimizing my life and just trying to like achieve like just a little bit more each day. Mm -hmm. And so like the year two, man, like I didn't make like the craziest changes. I just started listening to podcasts like during my commute. Um, whereas like the first year I was probably just sleeping cause I was always so <laughs> tired and, and then like, like on, and when I got home at night, like instead of just like watching TV for that hour, like I still, I kept going to the gym, but like after dinner, instead of just like conking out, I, I started like teaching myself garage band, mm. like for just maximum, like one hour per night. Um, and, and then like on the weekends, like after I started getting like kind of really into it, um, I, I sacrificed like one night per week, like instead of going out with my friends and like drinking in, in Manhattan, like I stayed in, I stayed home and just like worked on music. Um, and in those two little like, like changes, right? Like the podcast, like podcast stuff and, um, and, and working for maybe one hour maximum per day, Monday through Thursday, I was able to write like an entire and produce, like write, produce, create an entire 12 song album, like all in garage band over the course of like one year. Wow. And and like, and like, I, I mean, it wasn't like that great or anything, but at the point was that I like had created something. And I remember just like looking back on those two years and how like different they were like, like one year I accomplished essentially kind of nothing. And then by doing very, very little, just changing like a few little things in my life, like all of a sudden I had a full, like, like album or, or piece of art to really like showcase for it. Um, and so like basically the reason I'm telling the story is that like I think like there's always downtime that you can take advantage of like in your life. So whether whether it's like commuting or or during a workout like like listen to podcasts, man. Like there's there's nothing that I th- like I promise you'll get addicted to podcasts <laughs> and they'll do nothing but motivate you and like make you like genuinely happier and get just like a more positive version of yourself. Um so like finding things that you're passionate about, like, like, and then learning about them in podcasts and just like removing TV. Like, I think that those things were just like so huge. And like, that is really all that kickstarted, like everything that I've done over the past, like six years is was like those small little changes. So, so like, that'd be like my first thing, like number one lifestyle change. And I didn't mean to talk for that long, but like, no, I, I love that so much because um, and just briefly, like so, so many producers think that they're at a massive disadvantage because they can't put in four or five hours a day or they can't put in eight hours a day because they're working a full-time job. But one hour a day, like you said, if you can do that for a whole year and make an album, there's no reason that anyone else can't. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I think that whole time concept is like, it can really, it can really kind of mess with you. Like, you start to use it as an excuse as to why you're not creating more. But, um, there's this like expression that my dad always says, I'm trying to think of it. It's like, like if you want something to, how does he say it? If you want something to get done, like give it to the busiest person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, and that's kind of like, that's like, like if you have too much free time, like you won't actually necessarily make more music. Like it's not mm. a guarantee. Um, And so like, if you have a busy life, like use that to your advantage because then, and honestly, this is actually like, this seems like it's scripted, but like my second point was like to be ruthless, like in your productivity. So like, 
So if you're giving yourself one hour per day, like give it like a real out hour. Like don't like dilly dally and like check mm. your Facebook and your email and text your friends. Like, like turn off the internet, put your phone on silent, throw it in another, in another room and just be like 100% present and focused for that entire hour. And uh, like, honestly, like it's, it's a lot easier said than done. But I think like once you get into the habit of it, it becomes kind of like second nature. Um, and honestly, like if, if you want to take it to the next level, like if you're going to, if you're going to have one hour per day, like produce in the mornings, if you can, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like I think that, I mean, not me, but the, the, the brain is basically like clinically, like just more tired throughout the day. It's just a fact of life. Yeah. Like yeah. your, your brain waves are going to operate at like much lower levels as the day goes on. So, and I might sound like a dick here, but like, why like if you love if you claim to love music so much why would you wait until like you're tired and barely able to think from like a long ass day of work yes. or a long day of classes to start working on music you know what i mean like, oh, dude, like don't yes. you owe it to <laughs> like don't you owe it to yourself to the thing that you claim to be so passionate about to just wake up a little earlier and give it like 100% with like an actual fresh and present mind mm mm-hmm. I think that's a huge, huge thing that like not a lot of people seem to do. That's, it's, it's, yeah. that's a that's a big sacrifice, I think, for a lot of people. It is, but it's so important because I I feel like you've just put into words what I've been trying to tell people for a long time. Um, <laughs> because you know, you know, willpower. How it's a, and this is scientific. Like when people say, oh, "I'm a night person. I can't produce in the morning." And then the next day they say, oh man, I can't finish this track. Like I just can't seem to get over this difficult part of the project. And it's like, well, maybe that's because you're producing at 10 p.m. at night. Um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And I mean, the way willpower works is it, you start off in the morning with, you know, if you think of it like a uh, a tank of gas, you know, it's full in the morning because you haven't made that many decisions. You haven't encountered that many challenges and so your willpower is at its maximum level. Once you go through a day of work, especially if it's stressful, it's quite low. And uh, your ability to make good decisions is is pretty inhibited. So that makes a load of sense. <laughs> I wish more people would produce in the morning. Yeah, yeah. That's that's honestly one of like my, like if I could like credit one thing that really kind of changed my my productivity in life is just kind of embracing like mornings and really like almost like making a routine for yourself that like gets you excited to be awake. Cause like mm-hmm. who, who wants to hit like snooze on, a, on an alarm, start their commute, go to work at some job that they're not happy about. Like, like that's giving me anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> so like, but like, even if you have a job that like you're not completely in love with, like what if you like set an alarm like two hours before you're even supposed to leave and like yeah you'll have to shift your kind of your schedule up a little bit but like take your time in the morning and like you know maybe enjoy a cup of coffee like overlooking like your production software whatever it is Mm -hmm. but like enjoy it and and take your time with the morning and like not necessarily just like rush into something that i don't know just makes you want to snooze right i like that a lot because um i mean i don't know about you but i and it's been a while since I had a job, but I remember working and if I had like a terrible day, I wouldn't feel like motivated to make music. I just kind of, I justify doing something else. 
that was super unproductive. I'd be like, I deserve to watch TV because I had a bad day. But if you're making music in the morning, um, you're kind of avoiding that because it means that even if you do have a terrible day, you've actually done the most important thing. Exactly. That's actually a really good point. And I think that like by producing in the morning, like you're actually kind of dictating the day, you know, like you're, you're, you're creating a reality for yourself, whether it's, you know, whatever you decide, but like, if you have a, a fun morning producing music, like, doesn't the day just seem so much better? Like, yeah, you still have to go to work, but like, Hey, I just like accomplished so much or, or did something that I'm so passionate about. It just feels like a better way to, to start, you know, to start every day. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say someone's got these habits in place, you know, they're, they're producing once, two hours a day, they're being consistent. They're making a little bit of money. Um, and they're good at wait, their- wait, can I, can I give you, can I give you one more yes. Like, yes, big sorry, thing? Sorry. Just get that. No, no, out. it's, it's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably talking too much, man, but you get me excited. No, there's I'm no such like, thing as talking too much. Too, too many ideas, dude. <laughs> but okay. So like the one thing that I, that I sort of touched upon a little bit last, like last time we spoke, um, I talked a little bit about smoothies, right? Like, yeah, just yeah. like, like eating healthy and all this. And like, I just, I wanted to like stress that like, all right, so like, don't get me wrong, right? Like you can, you can crush music with a full-time job, but I think you need to be operating at an optimal state mm-hmm. and like nothing is going to kind of, nothing's going to make you produce music faster or feel better about yourself or be more efficient or be more present than, than eating healthy. And like, I, I just like, I think the easiest way to start eating healthy is to just have like, just add one green smoothie every day to your mm-hmm. life and like watch your life, man, just watch it transform. Like you're going to have more energy. You'll probably lose weight or gain muscle, like depending on, on what kind of a like gym routine you, you have. Um, but can I, can I actually share my, my, my green yes, smoothie please, recipe? Please. Cause I'm like, I'm so sold on this rest. I've been drinking <laughs> this thing every single day for like two years now. I'm obsessed with it and I'm still not sick of it somehow. <laughs> But, um, all right, ready? We can put it in the show notes yeah, too, man. right? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So half an avocado, one apple, half of a banana, one cup coconut milk. I use like a, um, like Pacific natural foods, like organic coconut beverage. So it's not really like full on milk. It's kind of like a light coconut mm-hmm. milk thing. Um, a huge handful of spinach, huge handful of arugula, two handfuls of ice cubes, a dash of nutmeg. And then if like, if it's a, like, I think it's super sweet already. There's plenty of fruit in it. But, um, but if you want, like you can add a little bit of honey and, and I'm telling you, man, like that, that if you drink that and then start producing music, like you are on another level. It's like, you just had like three cups of coffee without the, like the angst of the caffeine. Like you're just focused, oh, present, nothing to me. I'm like, like I'm going to patent it one day and just like, I don't know. It's going to be like the hyper bits green smoothie, yes. but it's uh it's it's awesome man it really it really like gets me going every single day i love that man i feel like it's going to be a little bit controversial because uh in my experience a lot of producers have bad you know studio habits eating doritos Uh, and having like a 1.5 liter bottle of pepsi oh yeah absolutely (laughs) man but but it's also you know like it also depends how committed you are as far as like the long haul because you can only do that stuff for so long before it starts to catch up with you. And like, exactly. Like I, I thought I was eating healthy at one point in my, like in my production journey, but like dude sitting down for 12 to 15 hours per day and like working on music, like 
that stuff like I, that can really catch up to you really really quickly i think actually do you have any um like how do you manage breaks and stuff because obviously you're doing this full time now and sitting down and i feel like this is bad too for myself because i sat down all day but it's do you have any sort of framework for for standing up and getting outside or, or something like that i feel well, like that's I, important I, I prioritize like working out mm-hmm. uh so i start my day with like by going to the gym like I'll, I'll basically wake up like you know i'll take my time have breakfast but then i'll go out like that's the first thing i do so i don't just like wake up and like sit down and like start producing right away now that i have kind of like the the time frame to control my schedule mm-hmm. so like the first thing i do is just get up go to the gym you know whether it's yoga crossfit running biking whatever like i'll get that done kind of first and then when i come back and like start working on music um i'm basically i, I try to stand up at least like once every hour like that's kind of my like my minimum. If I'm sitting for more than an hour, like I, my legs start to tighten up, oh, my yeah. back starts to hurt. Um, and I've even like I'm eventually gonna get like a like a legit uh, standing desk. But for the time being, I just have like a couple like books that I just like stack yeah, under man. my keyboard and mouse <laughs> and just tilt my screen up a little bit and try to stand for at least like a couple hours every day. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's cool. And I like how, um, you know you. you it seems like you're quite relaxed in the morning, which is important for creativity. And the more I think about it and the more I read about creativity, that's what everyone's saying. You know, if, if you if you feel rushed when you enter the DAW, there's a pretty high chance that you're not going to enjoy the session. Um, yeah, it's like almost like too relaxed. much pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so going back to the whole career thing and, and you know, doing music full time, some people they have the habits down they're they're drinking like vegetable smoothies every morning um (laughs) they're making music one hour a day or more and they're making a bit of income but what what's difficult for people is making that leap uh into doing it full time because it's it's tough like it's not a normal thing to do and often there's a lot of people a lot of talking heads saying you know you got to work a job like this is a real world um sometimes it's family saying that you you shouldn't be doing this how did you was there like a a mental shift that you had to make um to actually transition into the the full-time music well we kind of talked a little bit about this in that in our last uh broadcast so like yeah so i i was fortunate enough to be laid off from my job so that like kind of forced me into, into like doing it full time. Like, like after an experience of doing something that I hated so much, I kind of looked at it like there's, there is no other choice. Like I'm going to make this work and like, that's it. Like there's just, there's no other options. And so for that first year, like living in Manhattan, um, without a job was, was pretty tough. Like, you know, I, I, I was barely making ends meet. I was just finding ways to to survive and i think like i think making that mental shift can be very tough and so like that's why i'm saying like i was very lucky because i was forced into it Mm -hmm. and then and then once it happened like you know like all of a sudden i started giving like one music production lesson to to someone and the next thing i know i had like two weekly sessions with people and then all of a sudden i was doing some mixed downs and like 
you know, like it, it's a slow growth. Like there's definitely no like day where all of a sudden I felt like I was like content and, and making enough money really to survive. Mm-hmm. But, but slowly and surely like, you know, one client at a time, one, one remix at a time, one mix down, whatever it was, like it's, it started to feel like I could survive off of it. Um, and you know, and now fast forward, like four years or five years or whatever. And like, like it's, it's scary to think about those in those original like months, Mm. you know, where like, I really didn't know where my money was going to come from. But like now at this point, like I've just built up enough of a client base that there's just like this consistent flow of, of income and I can survive off of. Right. I see. So, you know, you were forced into doing that full-time, doing music full-time. Um, but for people who aren't, is there any other strategy, maybe a less common one, um, that people can use to progress their transition or speed it up almost? Um, yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I actually like the like the word speeding it up, right? Because like, like I think you should not be afraid to just like pay for a music class or, or yeah, take a course yeah. at like, at like whatever learning institution you might come across. Cause like, you know, staying in that mindset that like time is somewhat limited when you are working full time, like you really can't be afraid to optimize your learning and, and hiring a coach or, or taking a class is really just going to like streamline everything for you where, cause you know, like, like I'm not saying to go buy everything under the sun, mm-hmm. but like, but if there's a particular class or like an online course that you really think you would benefit from, like do it. Like there's, there's just absolutely no way that you will regret it. Like, like I took a pretty expensive Dubspot course back in 2012 mm. and, and I'm not going to lie, like it has paid off 10, 10 X, like maybe even a hundred X. Um, just because like, you know, like taking a class got me into like a little bit of a different mindset and, and just streamlined, uh, some of my production techniques and like, you know, like there's, there's tons of amazing tutorials out there and like plenty of free content. Like I'll never discredit like the internet, right? Like there's yeah, so much yeah. out there, but like there's almost so much out there that you could never stop learning. And I think filtering out like what's valuable versus what might be wasting your time can be very tough to discern on your own. So, so yeah, that would, that would be like the the major thing, like just not being afraid to invest in a class that could really just like cut through a lot of the stuff out there that, that might not be valuable or, or that's mm. not benefiting your learning. Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously I'm a little bit biased, but um, there, and there is a ton of good, like great free stuff out there. But like you say, it can sometimes be hard to like, it's not always well organized and it can be hard to um, exactly. Yeah. Especially as a new producer, find something that, gives you a big picture view as well as like the technical details. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I think, I think that like that ability to, to kind of look at the whole production process and, and then kind of apply it to your, to your production process, like is kind of hard to come across. Like not a lot of courses are going, going to offer that or, or do that or, or the tutorials out there online are going to offer that kind of Mm. like a, overarching kind of solution to like to your production problems yeah yeah exactly um and i'm not sure why people are afraid to pay for stuff i mean to use like a business analogy it's interesting that the the businesses who are afraid of spending money like you you come across people who don't want to pay 20 dollars a month for 
like a software service that will save them 10 hours a month. Um, and I think if you want to become a full-time music producer, you have to kind of get used to this idea of investing in yourself and in your craft. And sometimes that means spending money. Like people are, people will not hesitate to spend money on gear, but they will when it comes to like an educational course or one-on-one tutoring, which I think is super valuable. Yeah. Um, Well, I think, you know, some people, there's probably a little bit of an ego thing there, like to let go of being able to say that I did it all by myself. mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was like that in golf. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, like (laughs) at one point I had never taken a lesson and I thought that I didn't need it. And I thought I could just like be good without it. And like, that was like a straight up ego thing. Like why, like, what does it matter? Like is the second I sat down with like a professional and showed me a few things here and there, like my game instantly improved. And like, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Like, like why do you want to do it all by yourself? Like people should want to, um, kind of like hire coaches and, and, and talk to the people who have kind of already gone through the process. And it, I mean, again, all it really does is just streamline the process for you and, and you don't have to take all of the advice, right? Like you can pick the bits and pieces that work for you. Um, but yeah, I think the major thing is like, it's like an ego thing a, a little bit to just be able to let go and like, um, and say like, Hey, like I got help from someone else. And like, that's not a, it's not a bad thing. You know, that's a good thing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, coming back to yourself and you're working on music full time, you know, you're pursuing your passion. I imagine it's exciting and scary at the same time, but was there anything that you didn't expect to happen? Something that I didn't expect to happen. I mean, let's see. So, I mean, the, yeah, like, all right. So there, there's so like I can, this can be outside of music, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So like, all right. So I'm a, I'm a really firm believer that like, if you just start doing things that you love, like good things are just going to naturally start to happen in your life. Mm. And, and so like, I've been doing this like full time since, since 2013. Um, and since then, man, like I've just gotten in so much better, like shape, like, like I've lost like something like 40 pounds from like my biggest weight. And like, I'm just in this, like this great routine where like, I, I, like we were already talking about it, but like where I wake up, you know, like I, I do CrossFit or yoga or biking or running. And I've just kind of turned that like into a workout junkie. And like, I never thought that like, Oh, like you pursue your own business or become a music producer. And like, I would have the time to like go to the gym. Like that wasn't like part of the equation, you know, like it just ended up happening that way. Um, cause like when you're not spending 20, 10 to 12 hours a day revolving around a job that you dislike, like you're just going to feel so much healthier and better about every single day. And, mm-hmm. it, and it even comes down to like the food that I cook. Like I've really gotten into like cooking, which is something like, like cooking. Like I didn't have time for that at all <laughs> when, when I was working like in Manhattan. Um, or commuting from Manhattan or whatever. And so like, I think like, like that has been probably the number one biggest thing that I never really expected. Um, and I, not to talk about golf again, but like for anyone who's a golfer out there, I broke 80 for the first time in my life, which like, it was just a huge personal goal of mine. But like Mm. when I was working full time, I didn't have time to play golf. Like I would maybe play on the weekends, but like, because I was choosing music, you know, like I couldn't really even pursue some of the hobbies and like the fun mm-hmm. things in life that I, 
that I also wanted to do. Um, and so I don't know if this is like really related also, but like, you know, I've been dating my girlfriend for over three years and I'm just, I'm just in love, dude. And I don't, I don't know what that relationship would even look like or if it would even exist. Like if I wasn't doing kind of like what I'm doing right now, just like mm -hmm. passionate about my profession. Cause like, that's part of, of who she loves. And I, I have no, like if I was miserable and in a cubicle, like would she have even been attracted to me? You know, like I, right. you, you just don't know. Um, and I'm not playing like a, a, a guessing game here, but it's just, I think it's just a fact of life that like when you start doing things you love, like you attract like-minded people yeah, into your life. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so that's pretty positive and all, but I mean, there is, there is obviously a struggle here. And one thing that a lot of people struggle with, including myself, like I've dealt with this a lot, uh, is imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you encounter that at all when you were, when you made this transition? Oh, I mean, it was, to be entirely honest, it was, it was a very like big, big struggle for me. Like, so, I mean, when I first started working on music full time, like just making ends meet, like it was, it was hard to even just introduce myself like as a music producer. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, like the def, I think like imposter syndrome, the definition of it is to, is to kind of like, like, even though you might have some accomplishments, like you might feel like you're about to be exposed as a fraud or you like, don't feel legitimate. Um, and I like all the, all that stuff was like very real in my head. Like I, I remember just like, I don't know, like I would introduce myself and say like that I'm a music producer. Cause like that happens socially all the time where you just have to say what you do. And <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't like really believe it or, or own it yet. And I don't know, like I, there was, I just remember there's so many instances where like, I don't know, like at a family event or something, like someone would ask me like, Oh, like, so what is like, what have you done or what does that entail? And like, imagine trying to explain that to like my like 50 year old aunt, like, you know, like I've done some bootleg remixes at some, and I've gotten some blog postings and like, I do some mix downs for other artists. Like, people would look at me, man, like, and be like, what are you, like, what is this guy talking about exactly? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, like outside of our world inside of music, um, most people don't even know what a mix down is. Mm -hmm. And, and I think like, I don't know, like I really struggled originally with just kind of like, just being able to kind of own that answer and own the fact that I am a music producer. And, and I just, you know, I struggled, like I, I felt that like, you know, like I, I was, I kind of cared too much about what other people might've like thought about my success. Because when you're, when you're just starting out, you really don't have like a list of accomplishments to share with anybody. You're just like a struggling musician and, and there's something awesome in that. Like there's something beautiful, I think yeah, about yeah. being like a struggling musician, but when you're in the moment and it's your real life uh, and all your friends are making X amount of money or, or having so much success and like, I'm just sitting here compressing like that meme, you know, like, <laughs> like it's just, it's a little, it's a tough thing to, to deal with. Mm. Um, and so like, I don't know, just, I think just learning to, to be myself and to, and to stop trying to sound cool. Like I'm this like super successful artist. I think that was a big part of just like kind of coming to terms with like the answer of being a music producer, like a, a real music producer. Um, cause I, dude, I tried all that, like trying to be someone else and like, I feel like there's no faster way to just like alienate yourself and, and your audience for that matter than, mm -hmm. than not being like 
genuine and, and just not being like real and like basically like it's it sounds so cliche but being yourself man is the most important thing um i, I don't know if that's uh if that explains kind of the the imposter syndrome thing but like yeah i definitely man I like i definitely struggled struggle with that um and i think like not a lot of people talk about it like i don't really hear no, too many no. artists you know like mentioning um because I, th I think like I had this mindset that one day I would accomplish so much or, or I'd, I would have done so much, like insert whatever accomplishment you can think of. And like, that's when I can call myself a music producer, mm, you know, mm. like it was some future thing that would happen. It wasn't my real life. It wasn't who I was right then and there. Um, and so I think when I finally embraced like just the ride and the journey and just being a music producer like it it, it it kind of it really helped me just like kind of come to terms with that and not like point to some day in the future where i might be more successful like life is happening right now and yeah, i'm a music yeah. producer right now this is going to be hard to articulate but and i watched this the other day i think it was uh, you know gary vaynerchuk yeah 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 so he puts out like these daily vlogs but yesterday's one he, he kind of said this thing he's like his goal is to buy the Jets. But he said, like, I consider myself uh, already successful in that regard because I'm on the path that will allow me to buy the Jets. Mm. And so, like, I think even if you're working a full-time job and spending an hour down on music production, you can still call yourself a music producer. Absolutely, because you're on man. that path. Like, if you're, if you're moving forward every day you you deserve to call yourself a music producer you know exactly i mean it's like it, like no no one no one like listens to a song to hear the end right like we're we're mm, listening mm. to music to hear the whole the whole prog like the progression of the whole track and it's the same thing i think in life where like we're not here to result in some sort of a destination like the ride mm. is the the measure of success it is the the whole thing so like for for gary vanderchuk's like example you know like the second that you decide something like the second that you are like hey this is going to be my goal this is what i'm going to be accomplishing and then as you work day in hustling day in and day out like you're already there man like and and that's the, that's the exact mentality that like i think it took me a while to like understand and and figure out you know like it's it's probably rooted in 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 some self doubt initially, but um, but once you I think once you grasp that mentality and just like appreciate the journey, like life starts to open up for you, um, and it it just becomes more fun too because you're not like looking forward to some obscure day in the future when you think you might be successful. Like it's happening now. You mentioned self doubt, and I mean this kind of links to imposter syndrome. But every I've I've not met anyone who doesn't struggle with self doubt. Even people who are successful, like wildly successful, I feel yeah. like it's just part of human nature. But was was there anything that kind of helped you um, suppress that? I mean, I I like I spend a good amount of time every single day, like figuring out ways to keep myself inspired and motivated because I feel like when I don't have those positive influences in my in my life, I result in in those forms of like self-doubt and negative self-talk and all that like 
that nonsense that like, mm -hmm. I guess humans just kind of default to. So like, it's, it's like a daily thing for me to figure out ways to be inspired. And that's like one of the main reasons that I go to the gym, like every day, you know, at least six days a week if I can, because I find that if I don't uh, release some form of endorphins, like I'm just going to be a little bit more negative and, yeah, yeah. you know, like things like that. And, and e even stupid things on the internet. I mean, it's like it, all those inspirational videos, like the things that like you watch and make you like get you choked up. Like I <laughs> love that stuff. Like if anyone sends yeah, me man. that stuff, like I will watch it, I will take it in and then I'll work for the next few hours, like, and feel so much better about my yeah, life because yeah. I just watched, you know, some amazing artist on YouTube encapsulate like so much of the human condition. Huh. Wow. You mentioned um, that you, you know, you were trying to almost be someone else or not staying true to yourself. Do you think that, because I certainly do, but do you think there's almost too much of a focus on image in today's lands landscape? Yeah, I mean, definitely, right? Like, like there's definitely, there's always going to be too big of a focus on, on image. Cause artists, you know, we're, like, you're supposed to look cool, right? Like you're mm. supposed to have tattoos and, and crazy hair <laughs> and like wear leather jackets and, and just like, I don't know, like I personally, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm like that smooth or, or stylish and like, I'm probably not supposed to like say this out loud, but I don't even think I'm that cool. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like I just think that there's always going to be pe like people need to idolize something. And I think it's just a lot easier to sell records, you know, for, with someone that has this like memorable persona and this mm -hmm. like stylish look. Um, but that shouldn't stop you from pursuing your dreams. If that's not, you know, like if you don't think you match up with those like memorable or stylish personas. So like, you know, like I think in, in DJ producer culture or, or in any artist culture, like that's, that's a big thing that no one also talks about. Like, like you don't have to opt in to the artist image. Like you don't have to play that role. You can be yourself and that's completely cool. And, and if anything, like it's a good thing to identify with this struggle because like it just helps you embrace who you really are. And then I think being yourself, like that's really the only way to, to just kind of like, like kind of what's the word? Like it's the only way to resonate with your audience mm -hmm. is to be yourself. The second that you try to be someone else, like you're, it's, it's not going to do you any, anything good. And people can see through it straight away. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else that, um, and I, I don't, not to be negative, but I feel like a lot of people just don't talk about this kind of stuff. But is there anything else that frustrates you about the electronic music community at the moment? Um, Actually, let me, let me pose it to you a different way. If you could change one thing, what would it be? I think, I mean, just to preface this, like I really do love the production community, like the producer community. Mm -hmm. I think that once you like enter that world of creating music on a computer, the networks that exist out there, it's, it's just such an awesome place to learn and get, ex get inspired from each other. So like, I love the producer community. So the, the one thing though, that I would probably change is just like the natural state of competition amongst producers. Mm. Like, like, I don't think you need to be 
so competitive. Like you can share secrets with each other and you can share your, like your actual sounds, your patches, your processing chains. Like people won't sound exactly like you, even if you give that stuff away. So like, why not just help? Like if someone, if a producer friend of yours, like wants like to know how you made those, those piano layers or something like tell them, like there's no reason to like, to not share that information. Mm. Um, and then I think just outside of the production community, you know, like just, just kind of like the, I guess like the commercial listeners of, of music or the fans, like, I, I just have to say this, man, like the one thing that I would change, dude, like just stop getting so fucked up at these clubs and festivals. Yeah, like, yeah. like I hate that association of this music with the drug culture. Like, I don't Absolutely. think you need, like, I don't think you need drugs in any way whatsoever to enjoy the music. Um, it's, it's just, it's honestly, it's like a, it's really sad. I think mm. that like that there even is that connotation. Um, but, but I guess luckily, right. It's up to everyone who's, who's taking in the music today to kind of deviate from that. Mm. So, mm. you know, it's not like a lost battle or anything, but, but man, just stop getting so messed up. Like I really, it's, it's dangerous and, and it's just unnecessary, I think. And, and people are dying. Like it's kind of, yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's messed up, man. And you can't hear the music properly. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> um, well, we're coming up on the hour. Actually, we've just passed an hour. And I want to talk about uh, one more thing. I mean, you do a lot of stuff. You know, you, you put out a lot of music. You do a lot of work for clients. You obviously run your eight-week masterclasses. Uh, but there's something pretty exciting coming up next week uh, on the 10th of May. You're, you're putting out a start to finish. Um, so the first question I want to ask you is, I emailed you saying, you know, do you want to do this? Why did you say yes? Well, to be entirely honest, I, I actually have a different memory of it. I'm pretty sure that I came to you wanting wanting to do it because I saw that you were putting out like, so you put out your first video. Um, and like, I just, like, I thought the concept, you know, like, creating a track like from absolute scratch and like recording the entire process like mm-hmm. like not those not those clean scripted walkthroughs that a lot of producers do like this i was just like damn like this is from scratch like i would love to be a part of this mm-hmm. um and so like i i don't know i locked myself in my studio for an entire week and just recorded i think it ended up coming out to like just over 7 hours um of myself making an original track like completely from scratch and what because it's on future house if i don't know like i get so mixed up with the genres but we're calling (laughs) it future house stf future house if someone buys this what can they expect to learn well right when right when like the 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 first video i guess starts like you'll you'll see that i'm using outputs exhale like the the vocal synth um, to create like vocal chops. So like, Mm. I mean, you're like, you're seeing the absolute entire process. So it's really hard for me to pinpoint like one thing that, or a couple things even that you're going to learn because essentially it's, it's my entire production workflow. It's Mm. how I generated an idea. It's how I layered those, those original sounds that I used. It's how I came up with chord progressions. It's how I built out and structured the track. It's how I mixed the track. It's how I mastered the track. Like, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on and on of, of kind of what's in there. 
but but yeah at the end of the day it's you know it's a full uh track from scratch so <laughs> basically an entire production process in about seven hours or so yes that's awesome okay so if anyone wants to get that that'll be out on may 10 uh and make sure you follow us on social media and so on so you can get notified well Sirik, thanks heaps for coming on uh for the second time yeah really love this me, chat man. i mean it was amazing i'm sure people will get value out of it so uh thanks no thanks for having me man a lot of fun being on here